0: As these sweet children are leaving, would you t- take your Bible and turn to the book of James? We are continuing with a series called uh, New Life. Uh, Dr. Reed has been walking us through this series. This morning we're going to look at a sermon that's entitled A New Guidebook. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a new book, a new guidebook that leads you into the way that you should go. Most of you this morning, when you were getting dressed, you stood in front of a mirror to make sure that you looked all right. That's a a normal reaction, a normal thing that you would do every morning as you're preparing to get yourself ready to go to church. I'll never forget one morning uh, when I really looked at a mirror for the first time, I wanted to see what I could not believe. What had happened is uh, our family had been out on a university trip with some college students and it was back when they were taking pictures and they weren't on cell phones where you could look at them instantly and somebody had taken some pictures and had gotten them developed. This was about 15, maybe 20 years ago and they had gotten the pictures developed and they'd come to share them with me and as they shared them with me, I was looking and seriously looked at one of the pictures where I was standing with my back to the camera. It was just a a shot that they were taking just where everybody was doing everything and nobody said, here, look at me, look at the camera. So I just happened to be in this picture with my back toward the camera. And when they brought the pictures and I was looking through them, I was looking through those pictures and I literally said, who's that standing next to Laura? And the person who took the picture said, that's you. And I said, that can't be me because that guy has no hair on the back of his head. And I said, I need to go look in the mirror. And so I literally walked into our restroom and got Laura's handheld mirror and held it up and looked at the back and spent the next five minutes just sobbing in my (laughs) bathroom. I could not believe that I had this halo of hair that was missing, but it did change many things in my life. I began to ask my barber for a discount when I was getting my hair cut, and I began to be recognized as being part Jewish because most people thought I had a yarmulke on my head when I was walking. It, it really is amazing what happens when you look into a mirror, In the scripture and the book of James talks about that as it talks to us about how we should read the scripture and how the scripture should reflect in our lives. The Bible, the word of God, is supposed to be a moral compass to us. As believers in Jesus Christ, we should look at this book as a love letter that was written to you and to me. And we should reflect the values of it. That's what's so disturbing about our world at this time. When you look at the values of what is happening in America right now, there is no reflection coming from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our leaders have lost their way. The Supreme Court is losing its way Everybody is losing its way. And if we as believers do not begin to reflect the word of Jesus Christ, America is going to lose its way. And we must change who we are. And we as believers must lead out and must take the very high road and the very leading road Listen to what it says in James, the first chapter, beginning with verse 19. It says this, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you." Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight ring on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted in the world. A recent Gallup poll uh, was taken And the results show that there is a Bible present in almost every home. Just the other day, Laura and I were in Tyler, and we went to the Lifeway store to pick up some books, and uh, one of the Bibles that a lot of the college students and younger uh, generation is using is called the ESV Bible, the English Standard Version, and uh, I uh, do not have one, and I have wanted one, and uh, it's uh, an incredibly wonderful translation of the scripture, and and something that I would recommend to you, especially if you don't have it. But I I was really in a quandary, and as the lady, the very helpful lady at Lifeway was explaining to me, uh, in in fact, she pretty much pegged me. She said, are you a minister? And I said, yes. And she said, did you go to seminary? And, And I said, yes. And she said, when did you graduate seminary? And I said, well, I graduated in 1983. Uh, from Southwestern in, in Fort Worth, and she said, You probably enjoy the NIV Bible. And I said, Well, yes, that's true. And she said, you know, before the 80s, the NASB was kind of the Bible that everybody really enjoyed and, and really looked to as a translation. And I thought, well, that's interesting because that's the version that Dr. Reed really likes a lot. And and I thought to myself, and I do like the NIV, that's kind of the Bible that I kind of attached myself to in seminary. And she said, well, that's completely understandable. And she said, now uh, students who are in seminary are really reading the ESV Bible and really enjoying it because of its word-for-word, almost literal translation. And I, but yet, at the same time, it's using language that you and I are pretty much familiar with. And, and I thought, well, I really would like to have one, but I struggled. And she could tell I was struggling and she said, what's your struggle? And I said, my struggle is I own probably 30 Bibles that sit on my shelf. And I said, I use this Bible, and I, I didn't have it with me, but I was thinking I use this Bible 90% of the time because it's my go-to Bible. It's, it's the Bible that I've read and studied and looked at and marked up, and it's my go-to Bible. And I thought to myself, how many people don't even have the Word of God in their home or even know about the Word of God. And yet, here I am looking to pick up my 30th Bible or my 31st Bible. And I thought about all the rest of us. I am not probably much different than you. I would venture to say that almost everybody sitting in this room could go put their hands or four or five or six or 50 or 60 Bibles that you might have in your home the Gallup poll that was taken said that, that in America, the Bible is present in almost every single home. It, it would be an overwhelmingly statistical uh, number, uh, somewhere in the 90 percentile, they think. It says 82% of people believe the Bible is either the literal or inspired word of God. 82% believe it. They believe that it's the literal or inspired Word of God. But less than 50% know the four Gospels. Less than 50% of the people in America name Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the four Gospels. And less than 50% know who delivered the Sermon on the Mount. You see, what we have is a consumer Christianity going on. We have people who have 30 and 40 of the love letters that were written to them. We have 80-something percent who believe that this is the Word of God. But we have people that really don't know anything about that Word of God and don't really care to read it and don't really care to live by it. And that's the problem. The Bible is not read, it's not understood, and it's not applied to your life and to my life. We just tend to have it there. And it's certainly not the moral compass that it was intended to be. Let me share with you three things really quickly this morning that I believe that the Lord wants you and me to know about this book and about how we are to treat this book and how we should be a part of being active in reading and understanding this book. The first thing is this. I think here in James that what uh, this incredible servant of God is trying to teach us, especially when it comes to God's Word here in the first chapter, is that we must be receptive to God's Word. We must be receptive to God's Word. If you look at verse 19 through 21, it says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to, to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all that moral filth and the evil that is so pervasive and humbly accept or receive. That, that word accept is the same word as receive the word planted in you which can save you. That, that word receive means to welcome. That we are supposed to take the word of God and we are, we are commanded in Scripture to accept it, to receive it, to welcome it into our life. Laura and I, uh, a lot of you know that we, we built a, a new house that we've been living in for a couple of years now. And we have a front door and a back door like most other houses. And the back door, we did not have a, a welcome mat. Uh, we have one at the front door that that um, that Laura had gotten, but we, we didn't have one at the back door, and we wanted to get one at the back door. And so I waited a few months, and I told Laura several times, I said, have you bought a mat for the back door? And she said, no, not yet. And I said, well, are you going to get one? She said, well, I'm looking for the perfect one. And I said, okay. So um, we went a few more months. We'd been living in the house about six months, and I said, um, I... Let's go get a welcome mat for the back door. You and me, let's just have a big splash Saturday and go get a welcome mat. (laughs) And she said, No, I've been looking. I've been looking for it, but I've been looking for the the perfect one and I haven't found it yet. And so that week I went to the dollar store (laughs) and they had welcome mats. And I bought one of those welcome mats and I put it out by the back door. And I didn't say anything. I just said, I've got a welcome mat. We needed one, and I've got it, and there it is. And it was a few days later, she came up to me, and she said, did you buy that welcome mat by the back door? And I said, yeah. I went to the dollar store and bought one. I said, it's kind of all the colors you like. It looked pretty cool to me, and I thought it would work well. And she said, I don't like it. (laughs) And I said, well, we've gone six months without a welcome mat. And I said, we need a welcome mat. And she said, but that's not the perfect one that I want for our house. And I said, okay, well, when you find the perfect one, I will take that welcome mat and I will throw it in the trash. Well, that welcome mat is still at our back door (laughs) two years later. The one I picked out and it looks perfect as far as I'm concerned. And Laura must think so too. But I I, I want to tell you something about that welcome mat. And I want to tell you something about Laura. Laura loves having guests in our home. And to Laura, it is imperative that they know that they are welcome in our house. And for that reason, she wants, and I have no doubt within my mind that she will find one day, the perfect welcome mat. Because she wants people to know that they are welcome in our house. And she wants them to know from the minute they look down at that mat to the minute they walk through our door that they are always welcome in our house. Well, this is almost exactly what the Scripture is saying when it says that you are to accept the Word of God into your life, that you are to receive it. You are supposed to use your life as the perfect welcome that for the word of God to come into your life. Your heart should be totally receptive to this word and it should be always open, always looking, always wanting this word to feed you. The book of James, and uh, book of Jeremiah in, in chapter 15, verse 16, I've written it down for, it's got the wrong uh, the wrong connotation, the wrong note there and you need to correct that. Instead of 15, it's, Jeremiah 15, 16, and that's completely my fault. But the in the book of Jeremiah, it says that we are to eat the Word, to, to take God's Word and taste it and see the sweetness of it and to eat it. And we are supposed to humbly look at it and let it teach us. I don't know if you watch the NBA Finals. I'm, I'm, I'm a basketball fan. I really don't like the NBA that much, but I'm always going to watch the Finals. And I love watching... This last week, the Golden State Warriors play Cleveland and beat them. And the two contrasting teams that were going on there. If you're not an NBA fan, you just have to forgive me for a second. But there was two contrasting things that were going on there. One was the hero of the Golden State Warriors, whose name is Stephon Curry. And Stephon Curry went to a little bitty no-name school for the most part called Davidson in the northeast part of the United States and played basketball there, almost had to walk on. And he is the MVP of the NBA now and the most prolific three-point shooter I've ever seen in my whole life. And when they interviewed him and when they interviewed the MVP who, who was not him for the series finale they all consistently gave thanks to God for what God had done in their life and pointed every time the microphone was in front of them, they pointed to the Lord and said, the Lord has given me this blessing. I'm nothing without the Lord. Uh, I read an article that said that their locker room is like a worship service. Contrast that. With the Cleveland Cavaliers and their most valuable player, LeBron James, who most of you have probably heard of, and when they were in the next to last game and getting ready to go into the last game where they would be defeated and lose the finals, they asked him about himself and about his playing skill, and he said, I don't know if we're going to win or not, but all I know is I'm the greatest player the world has ever seen. Well, sorry, uh, you just lost the NBA Finals. And when you go before your father, you have two options as how to look at this word. One is to look at it and think, well, it's, it's all right. It's pretty nice. It says some pretty decent things. But you know, I can work my life out. I can do what I want to do. I can handle my own affairs, and I can check this out every once in a while and see if it really applies to me. That would be what I would call the LeBron James School of Bible reading. Contrast that to the Stefan Curry School of Bible reading, who would say, this book is to be implanted in my life. I am nothing without this book. This book should be and will be my guide, my moral compass, and will teach me how to walk in my ways and to follow Jesus Christ in everything that I do. You want to know whether adultery is all right or not? Check it out. Humbly check it out, and it will tell you whether it's right or not. You want to know whether pornography is right? Humbly check it out. And it will tell you whether it's right or not. You want to know whether homosexuality is a sin or not? Check it out. Humbly check it out. And it will tell you. You don't have to be a loud gonging symbol to the world. This book will go before you and tell the world what is right and what is wrong and what is morally acceptable. Is it okay to be a liar? Check it out. Is it okay to be a thief or to steal? Check it out. Is it okay to gossip? Check it out. It's all here. And we are told to be receptive to that Word. There's four things that you'll see here in verse 19 through 21. You can write them down very quickly. It's just a a wonderful understanding of what you're supposed to do and how you can be receptive to God's Word. The first thing is this. Listen. The, The Scripture says that you should listen. The second thing is it says you should be slow to speak. You should listen to this word and then you shouldn't just go mouthing off about it, but you should be slow to speak and look internally before you look externally. The third thing is this, it says to be calm. Don't show anger. Anger means closed hearts. Most of you know that Laura, my wife, is a licensed professional counselor. She's been in practice for 19 years. And the thing that she helps me to understand over and over again is that when people come to her office and they're struggling in situations, and not everybody is doing this, but there are many people who come to their office and they're struggling in situations, and one of the things that she has to do is relieve them and help them to see the anger that's in their life. Because where there is anger, people don't uh, get corrected. People don't, uh, don't, uh, aren't able to hear what's being said. So if Laura was to give them a suggestion, this is what you might need to do or this is what you might uh, be able to try in your life, but they're angry, she says, their hearts are so closed that they won't even practice what needs to be practiced to help in the healing. And what Scripture says is what backs her up in this is that you must get rid of the anger in your life to be receptive to God's Word. And the fourth thing that it shows us to do, and it says it here at the end of that passage, is that we are to lead a clean life. Uh, To be receptive to God's Word means that we will listen to it, that we will be slow to speak, that we will calm ourselves and not be angry, even though we understand that there might be things in the Word that would make us angry or frustrated, but we are to calm ourselves, Listen to it, be slow to speak, and then we are to uh, lead a clean life. So the first thing that this passage teaches us is we must be receptive to God's word. The second thing is this, we must be submissive to God's word. We must be submissive. When it says in verse 22 through 25, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but you must do what it says. Now, look, look at what it says in, in verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But then it says this, listen, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but does it. He will be blessed in what he does. That word look intently is the same word that you and I would use for the word gaze. Uh, You don't glance at this word. You don't go, oh, let me read three verses, Uh, da, 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 da. That's not what the, the scripture teaches us to do when we pick up this word. What the scripture teaches us to do is to look at this word and to gaze into it and look at it intently. You know where the word gaze is used often? When you're reading and, and looking at somebody that you love. Like I, I gaze into Laura's eyes because I love to look at her. I just don't, I don't glance at my wife. I gaze at her um, uh, a year ago, almost a year ago, uh, Evan our our middle son, got married and and I got to do the the shopping thing with my wife to pick out the wedding not not kristen 's wedding dress, but I, and, you know you learn all these things as you go along in life, but the mother, of the bride has to have a, a wedding dress who would know. I mean, I would just say, you know, you got 5,000 dresses in the closet, let's pick one, and we can wear that to the wedding. But that doesn't work. We have to go get a new wedding dress, and that's okay. So I got to go on that trip, and we went to uh, a store, and we sat in one of those fancy stores that I have only done one other time in my life. Uh, When I, I actually, when I was in college, I had the chance to escort Miss America one time, yes, I am friends with Miss America, and, uh, but she was from 1973, so don't get excited about it. Uh, <clears throat> But I I had the chance to escort her, and we went to a store in the Galleria, and I had no idea that you could sit in a chair in some stores, and people would bring dresses out to you. That's never happened to me. I never even knew that that was even possible. But I did that with Miss America, and Laura and I went to a store where they did the same thing. Uh, This lady brought out dresses and said, this is really a nice dress, and this is really a nice dress, and I'm just sitting there on my phone just, you know, looking at sports stuff. And so we did that for about 45 minutes, and and they brought out a dress, and Laura looked at it and said, I like that. And I said, well, I kind of like that too. And the lady said, well, let's go try it on. And so Laura disappeared around the corner, and she went and tried on that dress, and she came walking back around the corner. And I'm telling you, I didn't glance at my wife. I gazed at her, and I said, you are beautiful. That dress makes you beautiful. And she looked at the lady and said, "I'll take it." <laughs> because she knew that I liked the dress and she liked the dress, and that's what the scripture is saying here as to how we're to look at the word of God we're, we're to look at it, not not glance at it, but gaze it when gaze at it when, when you look at that word where it says, "Look intently, it's the same word that's used. When the disciples went to see the empty tomb. When you look at John, uh, the 20th chapter, and we'll look at verses 5 and 11, you'll see where the, the disciples and, and the women went to the tomb. And the word there that is used is that they looked intently or that they gazed into the tomb. Now, can you imagine them going to the tomb and looking at it and going, oh, who cares? They didn't do that. They looked in that tomb and they looked in that tomb and they looked in that tomb and they went, where is He? And that's the same way you should be looking at the Scripture. Every time you get up, every time you read it, every day of your life, you should read that Scripture and you should gaze intently into it. You should look at it and say, what is this Word of God trying to teach me? And this is where it's great to have some multiple scriptures. and It's great to have an ESV version. It's great to have a study Bible. Because you should lay them all out over your table. And you should look at a word like uh, to look intently. And then you should go over to your ESV version. And you should look at that. And then you should look at your study Bible. And you should say, what does that say there? And you should use those multiple translations and multiple things to help God feed you with the Word of God and help you to understand what it's saying to you and fall in love with it even more and more and more. And finally, this, not only must you be receptive and must we be submissive, but we must be moved by God's Word. We must be moved by God's Word. This this is what it says in the Scripture. I mean, if you look at verse 25, it says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it he will be blessed in what he does and so that's that's how we close this morning we close this morning by asking are you doing what the word says are you doing what the word says are you giving because the word says that you should give give of your your time give of your talents give give of your finances are you a giving person Are you a going person? Because the Word says that you should go. Andre took the youth choir to New York. They, They got up and went because people need to hear. Homeless people need to hear. Cadets at West Point need to hear. People need to hear the Word of God. Oh, Bobby, that's what we pay you for. We're so glad you go to Africa, and we're so glad you go to Ecuador. We're so thankful that we can pay you to do that. That's baloney. That's baloney and you know it. If you're paying me to go do your job, you have lost your mind. And you are not reading the Word. Because the Word says that you're supposed to get up and you're supposed to go. And you don't have to go halfway around the world if you don't want to. I think all of you should. I really do. I don't think most of you can give me a very valid excuse not to go somewhere, uh, wherever God calls you, but especially... Um, I, I doubt very seriously that many of you can give me a very valid excuse to not go somewhere around the world. But you don't have to go around the world. I mean, we drive a mile behind us once a month to feed people. That god building sits right over there, and it's, it's about four blocks away. The jail, the county jail is right back here, and there's a lot of prisoners that need to know. The scripture says that we're supposed to be taking care of orphans and widows. There's plenty of orphans and widows in this town. And you don't have to get in your car and drive 500 miles. You can, you can drive five miles and do a lot of work for the kingdom. But you can't get out of the fact that you're supposed to be doing work for the kingdom because scripture tells you that and tells me that. I'm not mad at you. I know that's what you may think. But I'm not mad at you. I love you. And Dr. Reed loves you. And this staff loves you. And more important than all that, your Heavenly Father loves you. And He wants what is best for you. I'm going to close with this quote by A.W. Tozer. I've written down just a part of it here in your notes. But I want you to hear the whole thing because I, I'm afraid that it applies to too many of us. Listen to what it says. And it's, it's a paragraph, so be patient with me. But listen. Tozer said this, There is an evil which, in its effect on the Christian religion, there's an evil which, on its effect on the Christian religion, may be more destructive than communism, Romanism, and liberalism combined. It is the glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians. So wide is this gulf between theory and practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between the two of them. An intelligent observer of our human seeing who heard this Sunday morning message and later watch the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who had heard it, would conclude, conclude that he has been examining two distinct and contrary religions. It appears to me that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. Please, please, please don't let us fall into that category. Don't let us be the kind of people who hear the Sunday morning message and go out on Sunday afternoon and conduct ourselves where if somebody watched us they wouldn't have a clue that we're believers in Jesus Christ. That's not the kind of believer I want to be and I know that's not the kind of believer that you want to be. And if we're going to practice our faith, if we're going to study this word, if we're going to eat this word and put it in, if we're going to receive it with a welcome mat, if we're going to be submissive to this word of God, then we're going to have to live it out every day of our life. And that's going to mean that you and I are going to be inconvenienced. And that's all right. Because being inconvenienced, if it means one more person comes to the kingdom... It will be worth it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your love letter to us. And Father, we are thankful that the Word of God stands the test of time. And Father, we do not want to be the kind of people who listen on Sunday and act totally different the rest of the week. Father, may you teach us to be the kind of people who hear the word and do the word and live the word out each and every day of our life. And Father, now as we enter this time of invitation, may you bless the hearts and the souls of your people and may the Holy Spirit have free reign. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, Andre is going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. During that time, I want to let you know what you're being invited to. You're being invited to the opportunity uh, to do many things. The first of all would be for your heart to deal with the Holy Spirit, even where you stand. If God has used the power of the Holy Spirit this morning uh, through what the youth choir has done or what you have sung or what words have been spoken, then I would ask you to allow your heart to be given over to God. Even where you stand is a perfect place to be invited to the throne of God. Maybe you want to come down to this altar and just spend some time in prayer before the Holy Father while you are at this altar. You are more than welcome to do that. Maybe you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you do not know how to have one. Nothing would give me greater pleasure than to share with you how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're looking for a church home and this is where you want to place your life and your family's life in our church so that we can further the kingdom together as the body of Christ. That is an invitation to you this morning too. Whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart and your lives, I want you to know that I'll be down here in the front and I'll be more than ready to meet you as we stand together and as we sing. Thank you.